0: continuing in our series of meditations on the most holy rosary today we reflect upon the visitation that second joyful mystery and the visitation itself has a has kind of an extra context uh, apart from apart from the holy land itself and the the event but on account of having a connection with religious sisters in the convent, there's a community out in California that I'm close to and, and I've gotten to know uh, quite well and spent, spent several weeks there uh, on different occasions. And one of the things that, that I've heard uh, Reverend Mother say to to her daughters as they are being, being sent uh, for their, annual, for their own annual trip home, their, their week home, uh, is, is she reminds them, remember, you were going for a visitation, not for a visit, right? And by that, she means when you go for a visit, you just bring yourself. You just bring you, whoever you are. But a visitation is you bringing the Lord to the person that you are going to meet. And I love that. That was, it was a, kind of a beautiful thing because that's, that's exactly what the mystery is, Elizabeth isn't excited to see her cousin just because she hasn't seen her cousin in a while, and that's all. The words that come forth from Elizabeth's mouth are words of praise of the things the Lord has done, the Lord who is in her presence. It's the Lord's presence that changes that entire encounter. We know that the Lord's presence is indeed in the womb of Our Lady. We know this by faith. We know that by the sacred scriptures, but also, a wonderful reflection given to us, if you haven't already heard, is that, is that of the connections between the visitation, the story of the visitation, as described by St. Luke, and that of the Ark of the Covenant. Certainly, there could be far more said about Our Lady and the Ark of the Covenant, but suffice to say, a few short words of some of these, some of these reflections present in the visitation itself. Now, remember that the Ark of the Covenant is the dwelling place of God. It was a it was a a large vessel made by or made of of this imperishable wood, this wood that, that was immensely sturdy and did not decay. It was then covered in covered in gold. And within the vessel of the Ark of the Covenant were three items, the, the rod of Aaron that sprouted flowers, although dead, and to be able to manifest the priesthood of Aaron. The second being the, the container of the manna, that miraculous bread that was given to the, to the Israelites uh, to nourish them on the way to the Holy Land, the Promised Land, the Holy Land. And then lastly, the two, the two tablets of the commandments, right, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. Those three items were placed inside the, the Ark of the Covenant. And thus, it was understood that upon the Ark, over, over at the top, was the dwelling seat of God, the place where God made his dwelling among men. And this, this Ark of the Covenant was, was a powerful thing. It was a center place in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. So it was the place where one priest, one time a year, would go to be in the presence of God. And so it was a, a, a marvelous thing and a powerful thing. Power emanated from the Ark of the Covenant. On several occasions, there are things that indicated this power, some positively, some negatively. Once, when it was being transferred, before it had its final rest in the temple uh, for many years, it was being transferred, and, and there were four individuals who were carrying it, and as they were carrying it, it started to, to lean a little bit, and one of them, fearing that it would topple over, uh, tried to be good Samaritan of the day and win a gold star and, and, and reached up to hold the thing, to, to hold it back in place so that it wouldn't fall, and He died on the spot because he touched it, when he had been told, do not touch it. And touching it, even even though presumably with good intention, he died. This is the power that came forth from the thing. Also, it was, it was on several occasions brought out into battles where the Israelites were fighting against foreign nations. And when they were a people of faith, the, the, the ark would be brought out, and it was a reminder that, that the Lord is with us, and they would be encouraged by this. And, the, and then every time it would be brought out, they would have victory in battle. They knew that there was power because the Lord God was with them. But at some point, they began to lose their faith and treated the, the Ark of the Covenant, the dwelling place of God, more like a very large, very shiny, very expensive rabbit's foot that was just kind of a lucky charm. No longer was it an expression of their faith in, in the presence of the Lord with them, but it was just a thing of, if we have this thing here with us, we win, right? We know all the stories from the past. And so there's a point where, where, they, are, where they go out in battle, and they said they're, they're losing, and they say, go get the Ark. We always win when we get the ark. Then they got the ark, and they were utterly crushed, and they took the ark. The enemies took the ark with them. God was no longer with them. Eventually, they they got it back, but then they they hid it again whenever things were being ransacked in Jerusalem, and they hid the ark, and it was never found again. Despite Indiana Jones' best efforts, it hasn't truly been recovered yet. And so, there's this, this reality that the ark is gone. But St. Luke paints the picture very clearly for us that there's a new ark that has come among us. St. Luke, he, he, he uses words. He doesn't, he doesn't outright say it, but he uses the words that everyone would have known and understood to be able to, to connect our Blessed Mother and Elizabeth with the visitation with the presence of the ark. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, King David, it says, whenever he knew that the ark was near, he arose and went to it. And this is the exact phrase that is used to describe our blessed mother. Whenever she, when she hears of what God has done, that God has taken flesh in her womb and that her, that her cousin Elizabeth is, is, you know, bearing a child as well, in the person of St. John, she arose and went, the same phrasing. We can easily pass it over though, you know, it's using phrases fine and good. But then David clothes himself in priestly garments and dances before the ark of the Lord. And as soon as the presence of Our Lady and Our Lord come to that of Elizabeth and St. John, St. John, the, the one who is, who is priestly in his very nature, leaps within the womb of his mother, he too dancing before the Lord. David, remarking of, the, of the, the shock, he says, how is it that the ark of the Lord has come to me in this house? And we know well the words of Elizabeth. How is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For three months, the ark remained in the house of Abededom, there with David to to sing his praises, and for three months, Our Lady remains with Elizabeth, there to be of service to her cousin. Indeed, the house of Abededom was said to be richly blessed, and indeed, the word blessed and blessings pour forth from this great mystery, blessing God, blessing Our Lady, and indeed, the blessings poured out upon all of his people. The ark has been returned to us, not in the form of of a mere dead wood and some gold covered on top, but in the form of a woman, a virgin, who is with child, the word made flesh. As soon as she is filled with with this great mystery, as soon as God comes and makes his dwelling in her and she becomes the new ark, immediately she is compelled to go forth and to share this with others. She doesn't go out and proclaim the gospel, however. She simply goes to be able to share the love of God with others. Filled with the love, it immediately has to be poured out. And so she goes with haste to her cousin Elizabeth. Certainly there's a human element here too, knowing that Elizabeth was up in age, that that it's bad enough, it's hard enough for a young woman to bear a child and to carry a child. It's even more difficult for an older one to have to do so. The difficulty certainly could be understood as well as the risks. And so Mary goes with haste to be with her cousin in her time of need, And there along the way, some 60 miles or so, she makes the trek. She makes the long and difficult journey, but arriving there, she goes. And as she encounters St. Elizabeth, the Magnificat is pulled forth from the lips of Our Lady as it pours forth, praising God for all the good that he has done. The saints of the church remark about this fact. They say, Our Blessed Mother indeed took a long journey by her feet, but even more so was the journey of her own heart closer and closer to God as he drew closer and closer to her in her very womb. We see the faith manifest in our Blessed Mother, the rich faith that is manifest simply by the praying of the magnifica, which itself also has scriptural roots. This woman who knew the Lord and knew his abundant blessings sang them forth to praise God. The place of the visitation is a, a town called Ankarim. Again, it's about 60 miles or so as a crow flies away from Nazareth where our Blessed Mother was. When she arrives, there's a little place in the town at the bottom of the hill where the church of the visitation is up top of the hill. There's a little spring down at the bottom, Mary's Spring. Unfortunately, it's been, it's been corrupted now, uh, and so it's polluted, so you can't drink from it. Uh, so you have lots, of, lots and lots of signs that say, do not drink from this, right, and little Xs <laughs> over people with a glass of water. Huh? It's been polluted, unfortunately. But it's said that, that there, our Blessed Mother stopped at this little spring to be able to, to find some refreshment as she continued on the way, a neat little place to stop and to pray for a moment. But ascending up to the top of the hill, there are several other things that are also notable. The church itself, the church of visitation, is built in two levels. The, the top level looks like a rather normal church, uh, regular, regular pews and apse and, uh, and the full things. But the bottom is, is there's no seating, uh, but there are several little kind of spots uh, present there. One of them is a large stone off to the side, to the right. So it's a large stone with, you know, some Latin text around it. And you, you go look at it, and there's lots of, lots of people's prayer intentions and things that have been stuffed there to the stone. And you find that the inscription indicates that this is the stone behind which St. John was hid to preserve him from the murderers of the day. But remember that there was a the slaughter of the innocents. And you always know that, that Jesus was taken and he was brought off to Egypt, right? But I never thought about St. John the Baptist having escaped as well, and he had to, because they were about the same age, only six months apart from each other. And the story is that, that whenever they came to, to be able to come through Ancarim at the time, uh, that St. Elizabeth, seeing this, was inspired by the Lord to hide the child, John, behind this large rock to preserve his life, and a miracle of miracles, he didn't make a sound as a little baby. <laughs> and then they, they, they continue on, and his life was spared. The rock is there to commemorate that particular event. But next to the rock, there's a well on the ground. And I was kind of struck by the fact that no one talked about the well. We had two, we had two tour gods who were with us, and no one said a thing about it. And yet it obviously was there for some purpose. It wasn't just a practical thing, you know, just sitting there in a, in a, in a relatively new church, this well going into the ground. And it had, you know, nice archway and mosaic tile flooring and all this. So it was something intentional. It was something, a prayerful place. It was roped off so that you wouldn't go, presumably, throw things in the well. And so I was kind of curious exactly what it was. So I did what one does these days and turned to the Internet and asked the Internet, what's the well for? And it was a striking answer that I received. And I wish that they had spoken about it while we were there. It was the fact that, that on, the top of this, on the top of this hill is where the encounter took place between Our Lady and St. Elizabeth. And it's said that in that spot, as soon as the two came to embrace each other in this great gift of this great sharing of, of their collective joy, that from the rock next to them, the rock opened up and water began to bubble up and a spring formed right there next to them on the top of the mountain where springs are not supposed to form really. And there it continued to pour forth. And this is certainly a scriptural reminder to us also. Remember the people of Israel in the desert as they coming into Exodus and they were thirsty and there was no water for them. And the Lord God said to Moses, take your staff and strike the rock. And he did and it broke open and poured forth holy water, water for the nourishment of the people that they would continue to live and they would make it to the promised land. I was struck by that beautiful reality that that this rock right here in this place also poured forth water as a sign of, of the, the forerunner, John, proclaiming the goodness of the Christ that he's come among us, that the thirst of human hearts for a savior is going to be quenched. Our God is with us. Emmanuel has taken flesh, as was prophesied so many centuries before. A simple visible sign of the wonders of God's generosity and his love for us. All of these, of course, are present there, and wonderful things to pray with. But the thing that stuck in my mind most about the Church of the Visitation was not most of the things about the Church. In fact, it was not really a holy thing at all to begin with. All of us know that we are humans. We pray as humans, and we get distracted as humans, right? Who Who among us hasn't gone to the confessional once, twice, or probably a thousand times to confess distractions in prayer inattentiveness at Mass? I myself am among that number. Because as we, we had run up the hill, because we got, to, we got there and we were down at the bottom, our tour guides left us behind, and we got, they got up to the top of the hill and realized we weren't anywhere around. So they had to come back down and get us, to bring us up the hill, and they said, by the way, fathers, you have three minutes to be in the sacristy, otherwise they're going to give the chapel to another group that showed up, and we won't have a place to celebrate mass. Yes, sir. So cassocked up, we sprinted up the hill, and made, it, and made it there just in time to be able to, to, to save our spot, right, to preserve the chapel for our group. And as we got there, we you know, invested, investing very quickly, and we got to the sanctuary. We're sweating, you know, sweat upon our brow and still trying to catch our breath as we're making the sign of the cross in kind of a very rushed manner. And so just kind of trying to catch our breath at that point and wasn't really super aware of what was happening around us as far as the church itself. But as we got, you know, got through the opening rites, the penitential rite of the mass, and, and and we're seated for the readings, uh, we sat, and then I noticed a sound. I was like, "What in the world is that?" And I was looking around me. I was like, "Is there a clock next to me that's ticking?" And like, "Some something's going on," you know. And it just continued and continued. And I was looking around, I was like, somebody have keys? Somebody clicking their keys against something? Like, what, what's happening right now? I'm in the church of the visitation. I should have all of your thoughts. My thought is consumed one single thing. What is that noise? And finally, I identified it. It was a little light in the back in the far corner of the church, right next to the confessional. They had installed some lights, and one of them was malfunctioning. And it was trying to turn on, a little LED light. And every time it would try to turn on, it would make the click, but it couldn't turn on. And so it just kept trying. Tick, 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 tick. And so the little light in the corner was just blinking along to the ticks every single time. And so Father Decker was celebrating the Mass and was seated next to him. I leaned over and I said, I said, Father, it seems we have a metronome to keep our chant on time today. And, uh, and possibly to make sure that you finish the... the the mass quickly enough so the next group can come in. I think they, they're just doing that to kind of keep us on pace, right? So we kind of, you know, chuckled to each other about that, about that reality. And then continuing as we were reflecting upon it, it was this thought that, that indeed came to us in that time, that as we go through the course of our days, it is normal for us to have our plans. It is normal for us to have intended things take place at a certain pace, at a certain time, in a certain measure. We have the things that we intend to do for ourselves, we intend to do for others. We have all of these things. And we have nice little color coded calendars. We might have all kinds of wonderful things. But every one of us knows at some point it gets totally thrown off. And this is the mystery of the visitation. And that's what I understood. From that ticking light in the back of the church. It was the call to allow myself to be inconvenienced. Indeed, we were already minorly inconvenienced by having to sprint up the hill just to be able to celebrate the Mass to begin with. Our plans were changing, it seemed minute by minute with that day, wondering what would be next. And this is what Our Lady experienced. Our lady didn't have a nice kitchen calendar that said, on this particular date, the angel Gabriel will come to me while I'm, while I'm in, you know, downstairs, and he will appear to me with this wonderful news. I'll allot eh, six days of travel to be able to get down to Elizabeth's house. You know, I'll stay there, will block out three months, and then, you know, six days, maybe seven days travel back, you know, it might take a little leisurely, a little leisurely stroll coming back through the hills and enjoy the weather a bit more, you know, and, and then we'll pick up with the rest of our plans. She had none of that. She was in an ordinary life and out of nowhere, Angel Gabriel comes and says, Mary, I have a message for you and also have a message about your cousin. And immediately, everything of what she was expecting to do the rest of that week changed. And not just that week, but for three months following, three solid months, everything that she had planned to do didn't happen in the manner that she thought it would. Because the Lord God came to her, filled her womb, and then filled with God, she was then compelled to go forth to be able to serve a person in need, her sons, really. And this is why I think part of the fruit of the mystery of the visitation is love of others, is it's not just, not, just a genuine, not just a willingness to go and serve, but a willingness to be inconvenienced by others, to have our plans change to have someone else take up our time, which I think is one of our greatest, uh, greatest assets these days. People are much more concerned about time than I think in the past. And so to give up one's time is a drastic thing, sometimes a very bitter thing for us. And yet the visitation is an invitation to us to say, are you willing to serve them and to love them more than you love yourself in your own plan today? Are you willing to love to sacrifice something, because that's what love is. Love isn't love until it hurts us a bit, truly. And we're willing to love. And this is the grace that we ask in the visitation. So, as we offer this Holy Mass, is to give thanks to God for the gift of the Lord, who indeed has come among us, who takes on flesh, and by virtue of that flesh, continues to pour forth this wonderful gift of the Holy Eucharist, that we can draw close in this Mass to that word that was given that took flesh in our Blessed Mother and that brought such joy to the hearts of Elizabeth and Zechariah and John. May it indeed bring us joy today as well and fill us with grace that we also might go forth and be able to love our neighbors as Mary showed love to Elizabeth and indeed to all of us, her dear children.